Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek of pop culture podcast broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and welcome to the St. Patty's Day special 2017 as we're doing a review of the Boondock Saints. I hope everybody's having a wonderful day, and I know I certainly am. And like every podcast, I have a guest with me. Who's with me today? Uh, top of the morning to you, Timothy. I, I, well, I don't oh. think it's morning time. The sun's down. It's actually quite... It's, it's late in the evening when we're recording well, this. The, 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 Bottom of the evening, do you? Oh, this is terrible. I think we should stop with these accents. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, let me get my telemodo out. Now they sound weird. Yeah, you do. Well, you uh, always sound weird. Let's be honest here. This, that's just offensive. So's your face. Why do I do this with you? Because you have nowhere else to go. Mm, so lonely. <laughs> I'm so lonely. And in case you didn't figure, piece this out, I'm, it's Dakota Wegan. Like yeah. always. Yes. Because I have no life. Awkward silence. Oh, that is your life. Awkward silence. <laughs> your life has some breathing and awkward silence in between. <laughs> I, enough of these shenanigans. <laughs> Malarkey and Tom Foolery. Let's jump into our podcast review of the Boondock Saints right now. <laughs> into this movie let's talk about how we were introduced to this movie so dakota when did you first see boondock saints college college yes it, <coughs> elaborate so, please okay so i was uh fresh freshman year of school and that's the first year of college people if you don't know i was a freshman in college and i went over to my brother's room we went to the same school quinnipiac i went over to my uh my brother's room and his r- direct roommate was Brian is Brian Riley. Mm-hmm. So as Irish as you can get. Yeah. And on his uh, Ikea bookshelf was a copy of the Boondock Saints. I really had no idea about it. And uh, so I was like, oh, what's this about? And then he pretty much told me the synopsis. I was like, I need to watch this. So I went back to my room, watched it, fell in love with it. And yeah. I remember. The, it's funny. Before I go into my story, I actually know kid I went to school with named Brian Riley as well. It's like a common name. It, it, it really is. It, it, like the, the, the funny thing is, like the dude's taller than me by like maybe four inches. Oh boy! And he's skinnier than me. Like the dude's like he is like a rail. He is a telephone pole. Okay then. Yeah, and like, and, like I'm surprised like a stiff breeze didn't like take him off to Canada. <laughs> okay. And um, and the first time I saw this movie, I, my cousin uh, actually this is actually her copy of the movie she gave me. Uh. Like, she had it over a house, and, like, it was a family party. Everybody's, like, parents are having fun upstairs. Like, my sisters were not there, and, like, people, like, cousins around my age were not really there. So I went downstairs to watch a movie, and it was there. I'm like, all right, and I looked at the cover, and I'm like, oh, that looks cool. And I'm like, the guy looks like badasses with guns. I'm like, all right, I'll put it on. Yeah. And was blown away by it, and I've been a fan ever since. And so before we jump into the movie, so what is the brief synopsis of the Boondock Saints, Dakota? 
Okay, it really is very simple. These two guys, two Irish. So is the Harry Potter books, but you know what? Yeah, if you somehow made that into the fucking Odyssey. More awkward silence. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's so, just your life not, in a nutshell. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to Harry Potter this. Okay. Okay. These two uh, two Irish brothers who live in Boston are put in uh, are put into an extraordinary situation where the Russian mob tries to knock them off after a night after they humiliated them. At that point, they made the decision to go after the people who wronged them to f- make sure that no one else can uh, be harmed by evil people. Um, so from that that point on, them, uh, the two of them plus their friend Rocco, who was wronged by the Italian mob, go after all these gangsters in Boston. Meanwhile, the Boston PD and the FBI are trying to a- get after them, and eventually they figure out who they are, and they're not opposed to what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So the whole movie is pretty much them on their uh, beginning their crusade against vi- violence in a very vigilante style. Mm. That was magical, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and the movie opens up on St. Patrick's Day. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show because I'm like, ah, oh, it's just very appropriate. And you're even more appropriate for the show because you're wearing an Ireland uh, hockey jersey right oh my now. God, I just realized how stained this thing is. Well, what did I do to it? What did you do to it? I don't know. It looks like I got I bled on it. Well, or coffee stained it. All right, coffee stains me seems more likely from you, but I mean, uh, I don't drink coffee. I know you who wore this, I, and you don't get into fights, so that I, I, I don't, I do not have an explanation for uh, your stains. I just noticed that I'm, I look like a jackass now. Well, you, mm, okay. well, oxy clean the shit out of it when I get. You home. always look like a jackass, but it's okay. But look at me, I'm a ginger, so you take that as, take it as what you will. Don't take it well, but okay. <laughs> so the movie opens up on St. Patty's Day, and the brothers, uh, the McManus brothers, are. Uh, at mass and during the uh, priest uh, like sermon like they gives to everybody all the people part of the congregation the McManus brothers get up walk up to the altar pass the priest and uh, kiss Jesus uh, by the feet and everything like that mm-hmm. and nobody bats an eye nobody questions it except the visiting priest the visiting priest because everybody else knows who the McManus brothers are yeah but it's like the brothers are so cool like fuck you we don't care about your sermon we're gonna do what we want to like and it, it's I found the sermon to be kind of like on the nose a little bit, just kind of like <laughs> highlighting the fact that like nobody was there to. It, it's a brief synopsis of what the movie is. is. Yeah, is the, the theme is stated right there, yeah. pretty much in the first scene with the priest talking about uh, of a case at the uh, a very famous like uh, case where. A woman was mugged in public and everything like that, and she called out for help, and nobody and like people heard it, and nobody responded to mm-hmm. it, and then that kind of leaves them double effect on the McManus brothers. Yeah, the indifference of good men. Yes, and so the title sequence begins, and we get to see aerial shots of Boston, the guys going to work, and everything like mm-hmm. that. And the, the brothers work at a um, meat packing meat packing factory, which I do find funny because they they do horse around with each other at one point, and I just like. Hmm. They like putting meat in each other's faces right there. Just saying right there. Connor beating Murphy with a beef tongue. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the fact, like, like, how much, like, if that was just, like, the first take or, like, just the one take that he has to trust the fact he's going to hit him in the face with it. Yeah. And it's like, all right, what? And then, whack! Unless he honestly didn't know. It was coming. Yeah. Because he does not flinch. He does not, like, brace himself for anything like that. And mm-hmm. I always thought it was really funny. And the whack, you're like, oh, Jesus, like you really caught him off guard in there. At the same time, they're training a new employee. Yeah. And which I thought was a little like very heavy handed. 
What? Just like her political views and like their their, their clash and, with and, it. And there's like a deleted scene or like there's an extension to that scene. It's on the DVD because she points at her – like they go – I think like Connor goes to shake her hand. She stops and she points to her neck tattoo and the neck tattoo says untouched by man. <laughs> Which I, I will bring up again later on in the review when it talks about other things and stuff like that. And so they're training her and they're like, all right, whatever. We'll train her. No worries. Yeah. And – and she's like, rule of thumb, they use the expression rule of thumb. Yeah, the and, rule of thumb. But like, yeah. And then she brings up the history of the fact where the th- term rule of thumb came from. Mm-hmm. Now, the funny thing is that the director uh, was a bartender in Boston and everything like that before he made this movie. I get the feeling this story came out because he was a bartender. This seems like a bar story, like a, like bar trivia that came up in conversation. Yeah, or like he actually experienced this conversation happen. Yeah, and I think that's, that's why people kind of connect with his dialogue and everything like that because everything seems rather genuine mm-hmm. to a point that you'd be like all right i can see people like that or i know people like that and she the the woman that they're training starts cursing at them kicks kind of the balls of murph like cold clocks her and just at the very end of the sequence it cuts to the uh, foreman he's just like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> and it is face palms and it cuts to uh, later on the night when they're in the, their local watering hole, their bar that they go to. Right. Uh, we get to see, we get introduced to David Delarocco, who's played by David Delarocco. Yeah. I, I assume that he was a friend of Troy Duffy's and he just wrote him into the movie just as is. Probably. And he's just like, you don't really have to act, just be yourself. And like, what kind of impression you got the first time you met him? Oh, it, it's one of those char- characters that like you like almost kind of instantly fall in love with. Mm-hmm. You kind of feel like yeah, he's a little bit of a loser, but you kind of fall in love with him like almost immediately. It's because he's kind of a loser you fall in love with him immediately. Yeah, pretty, a little bit. Yeah. Now is it because you think you're better than him, or he's just like, all right, my life's not that bad because no, it's I never thought of it like that. Like my life is better, or like he's like, such a loser. Let's pity him. No, he's just like the, one of those guys who's just been beaten down by life, but he's still is managing to carry on with a smile on his face. Right. So it's like, okay. It's I, admirable. It's admirable. Right. I mean, and if you really pay attention to the movie, yeah, his, his life kind of sucks. Yeah. And then... Then it fades into later on in the night, and it's probably the wee hours of the morning at this point, and it's just the core people left at the bar. It's the bartender, the McManus brothers, David Rocco, and, like, a few other friends at the bar. And presumably, they're going to close out the bar... And they're going to go about their night. Maybe, I don't know, go to McDonald's or something like that. Because it's like, late night drunk food is probably like some of the best decisions and worst decisions to made. Best decision in the moment. Mm-hmm. Worst decision the following morning. Because you just wake up and you're just like, oh, why did I do this? This was a really bad idea. Yes. And it's funny because like, I got a feeling you should never close out a bar. Or, or, like, never say something like bar closes because, like, something is bound to happen. Reason being, like, I can tell you from personal experience, uh, two weeks ago, I went up to uh, upstate to visit friends in Schenectady. Mm-hmm. I was a designated driver, and I was pissed I was a designated driver because I wanted to get out of there. A the plague we, of us non-drinkers. Yes. And so I was stuck there for an extra two hours waiting for until we closed out the bar. Now... A part of a person and part of our party that we did not we kind of tolerate we don't really like him. Our friend Matt has gotten into a fight with him once, like okay. fist of cups and everything, like, and he did crack a bottle across one of our friends' faces. Well, that will deserve a fight. Yes, and the dude apologized and everything and water under the bridge, pretty much. So, 
we're in the bar and everything like that. And like early in the evening, like he's had a few drinks and everything. And he like, he rolled his own cigarette, went outside, smoked it and everything like that. Later on the night, he's very toasty at this point. He rolls another cigarette, talking to our friend Sebastian and lights up the cigarette while we're in the bar. Now you have not been able to smoke it in most bars in the Northeast or most of the country for a long time, for years at this point, you're not allowed to smoke in the bar. There's very few places where you can smoke in bars. Yes. And so, bartender's like, yo, dude, what the fuck? This ain't 1986. So, the few bounces and bartenders surround him. Dude stumbles to his feet, takes one long drag, like... <sighs> blows out the dude's face and takes a swing at him. And struggle competes, like, and, like, the bounces and the bartenders grab him as he's trying to throw punches and everybody in my party just literally just turned away from him yeah, like, we don't know like we do not know him and then he fell down the flight of stairs outside hmm. it was only two steps so he didn't get it for himself too bad but like presumably they were they t- he tossed him down the flight of stairs yeah, I, yeah and the reason why i bring this up is like why you should never close out the bar because in the boondock saints they're ready the bartender's like all right this may be our last night and everything because the Russians are taking over the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And on cue, the Russians walk in. The, the three Russians run, walk in. If only Comrade Conrad was amongst the group and everything. Comrade Conrad would not be there. Comrade Conrad would be at Penthouse at Prudential. Is that a fact? It is a fact. I was there. Here's one thing about, the, about Bostonian women. Yes? I can't say on this podcast. Oh. <laughs> You would have to talk to me face to face and off microphone. You say like you say I was there. It just reminded me of uh, Batman Eighty Nine. It is legitimate. I saw it. I was there. He reached up. He signed it in his own blood. It was he, there for that too. <laughs> he did his own blood with this pen. Hey, it's your Uncle Bingo. Time to pay the check. <laughs> and so. And everything in this movie has been linear up until this point. Everything is just like mm-hmm. A to B and C to D and everything like that. Next thing is we cut to the next day. And we're introduced to the real star of the movie, Greenlee. Oh, Greenlee. I love it. <laughs> now, Greenlee has a very special place in our hearts. Now, explain to explain to the listeners why. Okay, Greenlee is the uh, uh, Boston PD detective, uh, homicide detective. And he has the most radical... Um, imagination possible because he is a radical he is presuming the two russians that are dead in this alley were crushed to death by some huge frigging guy um and from that point of just his his boston accent and just his mannerisms we have quoted um where you going Nowhere. Nowhere. And I've drawn comics and posted on DeviantArt of just like this one saying, I have no idea. We must have watched the Boondock Saints and then like like very recently after that, watched The Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. And like when Frodo gets stabbed by the cave troll and he's dying, I just go, dead at it. (laughs) Like in green, like he's standing right over dead Frodo going, dead at it. Like whenever somebody... Gets killed in a very specific way in a movie, show, or video game. You, myself, or Zach, one of the three of us will just throw up our hands and just say, Dead habit. It's the point, like, it's like, and even in text form, we'll, we'll text each other their joke just because of this one scene alone. Yes. And the scene's got a lot going for it because he's rolling off his theories, and the two other police officers stand there. They also, like, the. 
all stars of this movie are just like, yeah, that's pretty thin. Just letting him go. Yeah, just letting him go, just so he works himself out. And, and because they, I assume this probably happens on like they probably don't get this many. <laughs> uh, oh my god! Please send that to me. I will put that as the thumbnail. Yeah, for I, just, this. I just found a meme that we created because of Dead Abbott. And don't worry, people. I'll post it when this video, when this uh, podcast goes live. <laughs> and amongst what he's going on about this, at the same time, we're introduced to the other big star that we William Defoe as Special Agent Smecker. Smecker is that, that this? Uh, Smecker. Smecker. S S M E C K E R. So I didn't know our FBI agent's name that were like a food additive, but like uh, smuckers and everything like that. Schmuckers. Smuckers. 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 Same thing. Yeah, no. Tomato, tomato at that point. And uh, I remember listening to the audio commentary track with Troy Duffy did for this movie. And now this movie initially was set up at Miramax and it had a $15 million budget. Now... And in the documentary Overnight, which tells the story about how the movie was almost made with Miramax, how the deal fell through, and how it, the movie was eventually made due to Troy Duffy's abrasive behavior to everybody in Hollywood and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Like it's like rag to riches, rags to riches to rags story. Right. And initially, when William Defoe is entering the scene, he does it like this is like the really first big scene of slow motion in the movie. And he's entering and he's got the rock song behind him. Apparently, it's supposed to be When the Levy Breaks by Led Zeppelin was supposed to be the song accompanying him when he entered the scene. Okay. And now I just imagine just like, like the really thunderous yeah. drums. I'm like, ah, oh, that would have been cool. Like, not saying the song that they have is bad. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's no Led Zeppelin. That's all. Yeah, well, Led Zeppelin songs are notoriously hard to get the rights to. Yeah, song. because they all about to sign off of one and they're very expensive to license. Yes. I mean,. Uh, one of the special features on the School of Rock DVD when they shot the the uh, Battle of the Bands segment, mm-hmm. at the end of it, Jack Black accompi- uh, addresses the camera, begging them to allow the use of the Immigrant Song, and he gets the whole crowd behind him, all the extras chanting to get him to use the Immigrant Song. Yeah. And apparently it worked because they end up using it yeah, early but, in the movie. Uh, since then, the Immigrant Song has been in a, a decent amount of movies. Yeah, and the thing is, like... That's probably the easiest one to get. Yeah, like you like it's like you never like you hear that a lot. You don't hear you never hear Stairway. Never. And I think I don't know if it's just maybe it's overplayed or anything like that, or just maybe it's just really expensive to license it. Really expensive. Um, like no doing, Stairway denied. denied. <laughs> Thanks, Wayne. Um, <laughs> I mean, like hell, even like, and I'm not even the biggest fan of that song, Immigrant Song. I mean, I really enjoy the cover Trent Reznor did for the girl with the dragon tattoo. But anyway, back to the Boondock Saints. Yes. So. William Defoe walks up and lets Greenlee finish his pontificate on his wild story of like how these two goons got killed. Where you going? Nowhere. Nowhere. Brilliant. So we have a, a giant man theory and a serial crusher theory. Top notch. Who the fuck are you? That's who the fuck I am. Shows his FBI badge. <laughs> and he takes off his jacket and he gives it to... Um... Ah, crap. I forget the uh, cop's name. Duffy or Dolly? Uh, Dolly. Um, and then... William Defoe shows why he's there in the first place, that he's a, like, a really in-tune de- detective. Where he puts in his headphones and he turns on his CD player. Another thing that dates this movie, like, hey, people are smoking in bars that we saw in the previous scene. They're smoking everywhere. They're smoking everywhere. He puts on his CD player. He had, like, he had, like early, form, early versions of the earbuds. Yes. So, and um, sidebar on the CD player, I watched the movie uh, Steve Jobs, the Michael Fassbender uh Steve Jobs biography movie. Okay. And the whole movie is like, it's three big long sequences. 
Okay. It's, it's before each one is about each uh, product uh, launch. The Macintosh in, in 1984, the Next Computer when he was part of Next Computer in 1988, and then the iMac in 1998. Mm-hmm. And it's all scenes built around the first launches and everything. At the end, when Steve Jobs is confronting his daughter and their daughter has a walkman on him, on her, and he's just like, you know what? I got to do something about that. What do you mean? Like, carrying around that brick, it's disgusting. You hear the 500s, like a thousand songs, carrying that with you at all times. Like, yeah, sure, Dad. And, of course, they're going to lead on to the iPod and yeah, everything iPod. like that. And it's funny. I watched the movie on my iMac. Go figure. Anyway, so Smegger, like, puts on his opera music and goes throughout the entire scene. Everybody's watching him. Why? Like, what's what's wrong? What's, what's wrong with him? Because they can't hear the classical music that's playing. <laughs> Imagine that scene. Just him just... Just flailing about a little bit, like and it, all you hear is the NAS sound of Boston Post uh, St. Paddy's Day. It's kind of like, like who is this guy? And the chief stand there, like stone faced, everything like that. Like you figured they'd turn to him, like dude, what's wrong with this guy? What's weird? What's what's his deal? Yeah. And then he shows what he was doing. That he deduces that there were a sink or toilet was dropped on these people, and mm-hmm. there was gunshots were gun and were done, and there's probably water leaking in the ha- in the tenement buildings. Yeah. Speaking of the chief, the chief didn't really have that big of like a South Boston accent. He didn't really have enough lines for, for it to really shine through. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm just like, like, mm, like I mean, I, what, who says he's from South Boston? He could, could be he, from well, uh, the Harvard area. Yeah, it's, that's what I was thinking. And I'm just like, because everybody else has he could a great... be fucking from uh, from Worcester. Sure. I mean, granted, you kept you've had more experience in that area than I in Connecticut, and then you've been to Boston before, so yeah. you have more. Uh, know how of that place. Fucking Foxborough. You know, with Maki Mock, with the Funky Bunch. And why wasn't I in this movie? I love Boston. He, I, he was actually approached to do uh, pl- be in this movie. Oh, was he? But he turned it out to do Boogie Nights. Uh, okay. Which makes sense. Either one would have worked probably for him. But. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's funny because initially Paul Thomas Anderson from Boogie Nights went to Leonardo DiCaprio to be in Boogie Nights, to be Dirk Diggler, but he did Titanic instead. Oh. But there was six degrees of useless information for you. That and then Kevin Bacon was addressed to <laughs> somewhere in there. <laughs> somewhere in there. Anyway, so, and then we cut to our first flashback, which becomes the kind of the structure of the movie. We never see the crime in real time. In real time. We'd always cut back to it. And then we, we cut back to the same bar scene with the, the Russians trying to force everybody out of the Irish bar. And the three goons, which I, I, I have to stop and ask, you know you're outnumbered. Grant, you probably think because you are not expecting resistance from the uh, half-in-the-bag Irishmen at the bar and everything. Like that. They're uber-confident at that, uber-confident at that point. But <coughs> granted, it was three... So- Large, sober Russians versus six, six or nine drunken Irishmen. And wh- How many were there, Greeley? Eight. Ah, shit. Nine. Nine? Nine. nine? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that later, but go on. It, it, yeah, you would feel a little bit confident. I mean, you, would you really expect trouble from no. a bunch of drunkards? No. You probably, like, just like, they're probably, you probably could spook them rather easily, but, and that, 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 that your overconfidence, your overconfidence will be your downfall, as Luke Skywalker said once. And the drunkards uh, turn on them yeah. and beat the ever-living shit, shit out of them, them, even setting one of their uh, dudes' assholes on fire. Yeah, actually, if you really think about it, what happened to the third Russian? 
He ran and never came back. Yeah, he never came back. You don't think he's dead, do you? No, because no, he would because that that bar fight would have been something else. Yeah, he probably had, he probably went back to like saying, "Yeah, the, I made it out okay, but those two got really fucked up." Yeah, so. And then we see what happens the following morning. The Russians track down the McManus brothers, mm-hmm. tie Con- uh, handcuff Connor to the uh, toilet, take Murph outside to execute him. Kind of rips the toilet out of the floor. <sighs> Luckily, they live in a shitty apartment that looks like every frat house I've seen before. So it makes sense that he's able to rip it out of the fixture rather easily rather than yeah. like a brand new like imagine if it was a golden toilet like like well pff, this isn't going anywhere nope where are you going <laughs> nowhere so, so yeah Connor rips the toilet out and then gets to the roof where he can uh has a better angle of the alleyway yeah and he uh does pretty much he drops the toilet on the bigger rushing that's going to execute his brother and then he falls what five stories on top of the uh the other russian yes and from there, they yeah, he blacks out because he just fell five stories on top of a, of a guy. Yeah, and then Murphy then finishes off the guy he fell on, and then he swiped all the guns, all their money, and the pagers into a bag and carried his brother to the hospital. Good brother, very good brother. Yeah, and that's what you should do. And then, and we and it cuts to like actually we we don't even really get to see what happened afterwards like we get we're told later on because we cut to the police station the William Defoe kind of chastises the officers for revealing information to the press prematurely right which kind of which they kind of glorify them and we get the first notion of the cops being okay with the actions that they're taking because one of the officers is saying like what are they just saying in the back and just watching each other out like being careful. Yeah. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. more or less just kind of agree with them. And the first seeds of what happens later on is planted here. Yes. The Manus brothers turn them in, turn themselves in, tell the story of what just happened at the previous night. And William Defoe's is like, all right, fine. You, you're clear to go. I think that's, that's a clear case of self-defense and everything like that. Yeah. He has no doubt because he figured, he already figured all that out. Yeah. Um, and one of the funniest moments is so brief where, like, the McManus brothers ask one of the officers who comes into the interrogation room if they could spend the night. <laughs> yeah, they're pressed here and everything like that. Do you want to talk to them? No, no. absolutely not. Can we stay here? Yeah, we have an extra holding cell. Uh, 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 if that's okay. Well, I'm going to have to ask your mother, but I have no problem with your friend staying over the night for a sleepover if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and William Defoe's character is so eccentric that it really works with, like, some of the goofier lines. Yes. Like, you could believe, like, on paper, they're probably like, really? Why would you ever say that? But then Willie Defoe's delivery would probably just made it so much better. Yeah, and, like, one of the other people that was consi- considered for the role was Kenneth Branagh. And- I'm not familiar with that. Uh, Kenneth Branagh? Yes. He was an actor and director. He did a lot of the Shakespeare movies in, like, the 80s and 90s. Like, Henry V, he did, he did a version of Hamlet. He directed Thor. Um... He's going to be in the upcoming Christopher Nolan movie, Dunkirk. He was in Valkyrie. Oh, him. Okay. He yes. was, I think, in the running also playing Smecker at one point. Really? Yes. Okay. Oh! <sighs> what? Damn it. Uh, Harry Potter. Yes, he's... Oh, oh, crap. He's, uh... Wow. Our that, mind, we, I remember he's been... That's why I'm, like, drawing... Like, I'm he's, he, he obliviated us. He, he did... Uh, he did Lockhart! Re- yes! Lockhart. Gilderoy Lockhart! He played Gilderoy Lockhart! 
Wow. Harry. 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 I didn't get which weekly's best smile for nothing. <laughs> oh, he was perfect casting. Yes. Okay, anyway. Anyway, later the following night or that night, they get a, a message from God. Yes. Pretty much saying, do what you do, go about my bidding, and smite evil from the world. Right. And this, all right. And without questioning, they, they knew knew exactly what they had to do with very little talking discussion about it. All it took it was a look between yeah. the two of each other the following morning. Now, like, so I guess within this world, it's a very Old Testament God. Very Old Testament God. It's just like, all right, do unto other, like, just like, all right, an eye for an eye, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Um, though they set their own rules, pretty much, where, like, the only, like... The real, only... truly evil people. Yes. Get uh, get suffered this wrath, and they believe themselves. Like, at the very end of the movie, we're jumping around here, but at the very end of the movie, they pretty much do declare themselves unnecessary evil yes. to rid the world to rid the world of people like uh, um, Papa Joe Yacoveta. Yeah, thank you. I could not pronounce his last name, but Papa mm-hmm. Joe. And so after that, and there's one thing I noticed, like because before they spend the night there, like Rocco shows up with their clothes and everything like that, and he goes. Into the police station, and that's when William Defoe notices him walk in the front door after a press conference. And he doesn't think too 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 much about it. No. Yeah, and he like we see Rocco walking into the holding cells and everything like that. Now, if I walked into a police station and was heading into the holding cells, do you think I'd probably be stopped? Probably. He, well, we don't know because they got just cut from him walking in to him walking through the holding cells. Yes. So he could be like, "Hey, I'm with the uh, McManus brothers, He's dropping off some clothes and everything," because they know they need clothes. They're in. Bloody, Brad, b- bloody bathrobes. Yes, and like you're saying, like it, it is like total like like coincidence, and like and there's like kind of like oh, we're not going to question it. Mm-hmm. The only reason why I bring this up is for another thing that's brought up later on the the third act of the movie that you brought up when we're watching it. Right. And the reason why, because like those certain moments do pepper throughout. Now, the McManus brothers turn in the money, pagers, and everything like, and the guns from the Russians they took to an arms dealer that's in or. Yeah, an arms dealer in Boston. Yeah, so they buy themselves since this is a very po- this is post John Woo craze. So of course, we have dual Berettas, dual silence Berettas, dual yep. silence Berettas, and some fucking rope. Some fucking rope. rope. I mean, I'll and, get my rope. Me, I'll get it. And it's funny because I follow one of the, like one or two Boondock Saints pages on Facebook and everything like that. It's like I mean, that pages still. Yes, are they still active. Yeah. Oh my god. And so it's just like a lot of it's just like T-shirt designs. Like like I'll get you like. Get you, get, get, get your stupid fucking robe. <laughs> Which, like, if I could wear it in public, I would wear it in public. Nobody else would get it but me. Just me. Yes. So the McManus brothers, after turn, like finding out information after when the Russians' pages go up, where the big meeting's going on, yep. they decide to go to the hotel to kill all the Russians there. Right. They go in, and we cut to the aftermath. Yes, which is just nine dead bodies in this giant hotel room. Are you sure nine? 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 Because... Nine! It's nine! How many bodies, Greenlee? Eight. Eight. Ah, shit, I forgot about one. Nine. Nine? nine? Well, Greenlee's out getting coffee. He doesn't anyone else. Shit. <laughs> uh, it's funny, the actor who's playing Greenlee, his name is Bob Marley. He's a stand-up comic. Yes. Who I also follow, and he is actually pretty funny. Um, and so we then we get... We hear, like, uh, Duffy, what happened? Like, like... This is the, the target, the fag man, the what, the fat man. 
Freud was right because we later find we found out that uh, Specker is an openly gay man, mm-hmm. but he doesn't like really announce it and everything. Not too old. He's he's gay, but he's not like flaunting it. Yes, and it becomes a part of a joke amongst the cops initially about him, yeah. and, and like that's why he says like Freud was right and everything. And, like, in the scene before he's called to this crime scene, he's actually in bed with another man. So he gets the call, and he's writing down the information, and the guy's, and his lover starts cuddling with him, and he's just, like, smacked, like, all right, I'm doing something. Guy can insist to cuddle some more. And he really smacks him. Like, oh! And uh. the dude retracts from it, and he berates him for it. And it's just what like, are you doing? I just wanted to cuddle. What a fag. And, and you're like, oh my god. And it's like, and you're just like, whoa. <laughs> it's like, and you think like, like, all right. Like, is he a self-hating gay person or something like that? I like, have no you, idea. And, and, and it really makes the relationship really uncomfortable. And I even feel, we don't, we don't use that. We were just quoting the movie and everything. It's not like we use that. Yeah, no, no, no. It's just a quote. It. Yes. Like, so it's just like one star, like. Hate mongers on because we're on iTunes now. I feel like, like oh, I forgot we're on iTunes. Yes, yes. I like I know we're E for explicit anyway, so I'm just like, all oh, right. I, have to, I totally forgot to subscribe. Yes, you should subscribe. Subscribing. Yes. And during my Irish brogue kind of accent at the beginning, of the, the top of the episode, I forgot to uh, plug the fact that we're on iTunes. So, and then Smecker discovers what happened, and then we cut that. We flash back to the brothers getting an elevator, stopping it. Climbing into an air shaft that somehow could fit both of them side by side. Yes. I mean, like Die Hard, you could barely, like, Bruce Willis could barely crawl through it. And this one, like, two brothers can crawl through it, no problem whatsoever. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things. But, but the, as soon as they stop the elevator and climb on top to get to the air shaft, uh, air shaft. He's like, oh, just like I knew there was going to be an air shaft, just like on television. And they argue in the air shaft, and they get into a brotherly fight as one do. Yeah. At the same time, the Russian boss is berating his man for something we don't really know. And the brothers' fight gets to such a point that they fall through the vent, fall through the ceiling of the Russian's uh, room. Luckily, it was the right room. Yeah, and luckily they they got caught by the stupid fucking rope. So they're. They're being suspended in the air upside down, and they happen to put, draw their guns quicker and execute everybody else in the room except for the main guy, which they say their prayer and cap him. Cap him, and then they eventually, and then it goes to black and white, and you see them putting pennies in the eyes and everything like that, continuing the religious theme and everything. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I was going to kind of wait until later, but like. What do you think of the structure that we never really see the thing take place until we just have constant flashbacks to these violent crimes? I think it works best for William Defoe's character. Okay. Because it's him it's him breaking down what he thinks happens, which mm-hmm. is 100% accurate. Right. Most of the time. Yeah. Uh, so I think it works very well with that character building his credibility that he knows what he's doing and that's... Um, it also in that scene particularly, the other three cops start trusting him more because he's actually taking the time to explain 
everything to them. Right. So after that, I mean, later when they go to the crime scene at the uh, at the house, mm. and he goes, "Okay, here's how it goes down," and all three of them flip open their notebooks. Yeah. That it's like that respect just kept building and building because mm. he's actually taking the time. He's actually really spot on with all the details. And he's mm. very detail oriented. So I think I like I really liked how the movie went went about it like that. Mm. And brothers are like, huh? Name one thing you need a stupid fucking rope for. And then <laughs> we are good. We are really <laughs> we, yes, good. we are. There's a knock on the door. They go to the door. And it's Rocco dressed as a waiter. Uh, yeah, or, or bellhop. Uh, bellhop. I should say. But the name tag Jafar. Jafar. <laughs> and so they decide to mess with him. They open the door. They yank him in, pretending to be assassins, and they're going to shoot him and everything mm-hmm. like that. They find out because Rocco is supposed to go there and cap the Russians anyway. But he has a six shooter, and there's nine guys. There's six. There's nine bodies in you, genius. What are you gonna do? Laugh the other three to death, <laughs> funny man. Which is, at the time you don't think much about until the next day. I'm not sure if you want to get to that yet. Oh, but. I was gonna say we put a pin in that for a moment. Okay. But yeah, no. But the initial reaction, and then like the Rocco's like, "You, you fucking fucks, just fucked all these fucks up. You fucked, fuck." Now he knows the word, the diversity of the word. <laughs> now earlier on, we see Rocco meet his boss because he's pretty much just a delivery boy and kind of like a low-level numbers runner he's, and everything like that. Yeah, he's just a package boy. Yeah, and then we get introduced to Ron Jeremy. Yep, who as, plays as uh, I have his name here. Hold on. Bear with me. I am bearing with you. Bear with me. I am bearing with you as much as I can. Oh, God, bear with me. I am bearing with you as much as I possibly can. You don't want people to think that you're up to something. Vincenzo Lepazzi. Lepazzi. Now, funny story. Ron Jeremy came to my college campus once for talk. Yeah, he gave us the talk about the birds and the bees. Birds and the bees. No, it was it was part of an educational tour because he has actually two degrees in uh, acting and um, like theater acting and I think like Engl- like English literature or literature or something like that. He's actually he's actually a pretty smart dude. He's a pretty smart dude. He's supposedly a really nice guy too. Yes, and like it's like the, the conversation and the general roar. Uh, Aura around him is a very nice guy. Yeah. And the part of the conversation was the role of porn industry for young adults and everything like that as a job avenue for, like, young women. And it was him and, like, a friend of his, like, uh, who was also, like, a teacher and he's like huge feminist. And, like, it was kind of like a – pretty much like a debate of, like, the pros and cons of joining the porn industry and everything like mm-hmm. that. Huge turnout. I think it was, like, the biggest turnout that Oswego had and everything like that. Yeah, well – yeah. Makes sense. And it is just funny because, like, they're having their verbal duel back and forth. And, it, like, everybody's head was going back and forth. Like, it was, like, a tennis match at that point. And, like, every now and then, like, Ron Jeremy would just, like, kind of, like, throw him kind of his, like, he's totally, like, just flirting with her. Just, like, throw her off and everything like that. And she's trying, like, to not smile and everything. And just trying not to be charmed by him yeah. and everything like that. It was, it was really funny like that. And, uh, yeah, so that's my Ron Jeremy story for you. Okay. And so... After the Russian uh, uh, rub out that happens, mm-hmm. we cut back to William Defoe talking about all the gangsters that are in the room and saying, like, this could be building to the first international mob war. 
or I miss something totally. Yeah, which he <laughs> which he totally does. Yes, um, because he initially thought it was the Italians because it was retribution for like or is like what? Yeah, it's the Italians, but also the religious themes of putting pennies in the eyes was this whole Roman. Roman Catholic, old Roman Catholic thing. Yes. So that, which would be Italian. Yes. And because the idea of it is that you put the coins in the eyes of the dead. And so they, the, they could pay the ferryman over to the river sticks mm-hmm. and everything like that. Now, the next scene we see Rocco questioning the brothers, like, why are they doing this? And so they bring it. And it's a conversation like every American has probably had at one point or another. Right. Where, you see all these criminals on the news and everything, like getting out of jail, getting off with like really light sentences or no sentences whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And you just wish somebody would just go out and shoot them, like very death wish, very vigilante style. And they're just acting upon it, but they're only acting on true evil people. And they think they are the ones that really deserve it. Yes. And so they decided to celebrate after their first uh, big victory over mafia life and everything like that mm-hmm. with beers. And pizza, which makes sense why this movie is such popular with guys in college and everything like that. Like, eggs is just like, yeah, it's just like, oh, it's a very macho thing to watch. But of course, like beers and pizza, that that beers, is pizza and, sm- and smokes. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a lot. That is a college life to so many people. Oh, yeah. And they're getting drunk and they're talking about everything like that. And Rocco's uh, girlfriend's cat's on the table while they're having the conversation. They're getting more and more drunk. Mm-hmm. Rocco decides, says, fuck it, I'm going to quit. I'm not going to deal with these guys anymore. Everything like that. And he, in defiance, slams his head, hands down on the table, setting off one of the brother's guns, shooting the cat across the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, it, it's hysterical, but so like... It is so dark. It's very, it's extremely dark humor. They, he just accidentally killed this cat, and they're freaking out. It's like... Is it dead? Oh my god! <laughs> I think it's actually foreshadowing for what's going to happen to Rocco. A little bit, a yeah. little bit. It's just like, like it is done. Bam! Gets shot and everything like that. Yeah. And to cover up the bloodstained wall and the hole in the wall, they put a picture of the cat yeah. on the <laughs> wall. picture of the cat on the wall to cover up the bloodstain. We're just to cover that much. No, it's it like, most of the blood is still there. They don't even like really wash it either. It's just like thumbtacked it or scotch taped that picture on. Yeah. Pass out. They wake up the following morning, hungover. They go outside to have a cigarette. And this is the scene we brought before. Yeah. And, this is, and I wrote this down. Do you think Rocco was actually set up? Yes. 100%. And you think they just they knew he was going to die? Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, in the scene at the diner pretty much sets it up because they, because Ron Jeremy's character went in the, in there running his mouth and pretty much saying like the funny man's go- is going away. Right. And so, yeah, they all knew that Rocco was being set up here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a setup and uh, both Connor and Murphy were quick to figure that one out. Why give him a six shooter? And when you know, there's nine people in there, even though they told him there was only two. Yeah. And it's like, and he's like, well, why don't you, you, why wouldn't you think I would just walk in and see that there's too many people and then leave. And then Connor was just like, because they fucking know you. You've been working for them for so long and never given a chance. This was your first chance and you were going to capitalize it. And it would have been your death. Yeah. Yeah. And then he, in Rocco in denial, storms off. Yeah. To find out what happens. And. I mean, no, he get, did he get any phone calls at his house pretty much telling him what to do? No. So that was a tip off. And then everyone shocked shitless that he was walking through that diner. Yeah. 
So, I mean, which we do not see in real time. This is another one that's a flashback. flashback. And because the brother's way at the apartment, Rocco leaves. Mm-hmm. Rocco's girlfriend, like druggy girlfriend, one of her friends stumbles into the apartment and pass out on the couch in the living room. Right. And so the brothers are waiting and waiting. Get a phone call from him saying, I'll catch him on the flip side. Nothing. Next time, next time we see him, he comes bursting into the apartment pretty much. Yeah. And I love the moment where he's just like, he's stuffing like albums into a, he's stuffing whatever. He, he, he doesn't know what he's grabbing. He's just shoving everything into a bag. And he's freaking out. He grabs the iron and threatens one of the brothers with it. You start getting fucking angry with Nancy with it. <laughs> and girlfriend wakes up and starts, they both start yelling at Rocker to get his attention. Yeah. And she's like, where's my cat? I, I killed you, druggy, your cat, you druggy bitch. Why? Because I think it would have brought closure to our relationship. You, you killed my, 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 you're what? You're a little one. I'll shoot myself in the fucking head if you, if you say that name. Skippy, skip, skippy, skippy. Oh, oh, what color was it? Bitch. <laughs> you leave her alone. Shut your fat ass, I can't buy a pack of smokes without running to nine guys, you fuck. <laughs> now, there are so many people I've met in my life that I've uh, wanted to say that to them because they're total sluts and everything. Men and female alike. I'm just can like, you introduce me? <laughs> uh, I was like, I can't run. I can't say hi to nine guys. I'm running to nine people. You fucked. Uh, and some people like to party. <laughs> totally. And so when we see the flashback of him going into this diner, killing two soldiers and the bartender randomly, mm-hmm. and it's total amateur hour compared to the McManus brothers' way of doing things, right? Which is which plays into it later. And so. After that, they discover one of the strip clubs nearby is where Vincenzo hangs out every Thursday. Right. To jerk off and everything like that. Because internet has not become a prominent thing in the world yet. Nope. So, they decide to come back, cap him, where they decide to do that. Cut to the aftermath. Yes, cut to the aftermath with the stripper and just all the stalls destroyed. Yeah. and Which... I'll get to it, but there is an issue I have with this scene. Okay. And so, Smecker does, like, his deduction as usual. So, we have a flashback of them coming in, doing Vincenzo. And then they, the stripper that they was doing her stuff, like, passes out from the shock. Mm-hmm. And the other stalls in this circular room has, like, dollar bills come in, like, come through the door. And so, Rocco's like, you know what? Let me do these guys. And they're like, fine, fine, fine. So, he shoots both of them. And that's when Smeckham realizes, like, this guy was done with both guns here. Both the other two guys on either side were done with gun A and gun B only, mm-hmm. with two bullets of either gun on the opposite ends. And he's not, he's trying to wonder, like, what the hell has happened? Why does this, why is this, this does not add up? Because everything's done so professional and clean up until this point, except for these two goons. Yeah. And then he realizes, oh, it's a cowboy because he crossed his arms mid shooting and fired two rounds. And, Either direction. What? Fucking Earp. Uh, that's when we, they reveal, like, oh, well, the, uh, like, um, Duffy said, like, oh, I can't wrap my head around this. I still have the the diner scene still, like, rattling around my head. head. And then that William Defoe was like, what? Why didn't anyone tell me that? Two, not related. Two, uh, two lowly soldiers and a bartender. It's like, all the scumbags in Boston start dropping dead and you don't. Uh, you don't want to inform me? Yeah. 
All right, but real quick before we move from the scene. Uh, my biggest issue is so far in this movie and every other kill in this movie was known bad people. Yeah. So the two other guys that are paying for the paying for strip show. I assume there are other soldiers. You can assume, but there was nothing like they could just be a bunch of like loser dudes going for to like to a nudie booth. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's I, like the, that's my only biggest, it, I mean, William Defoe brings it up. Why the bartender? Why those two guys? Yeah. I mean, the bartender was running fucking mob stuff out of his, out of his bar diner. Which makes sense. Makes sense. The other two guys could be, I don't and, know. Because it, because there's one moment, like there's one line that, uh, Connor says very briefly and he's like, no, I've been waiting for this asshole for a while. Referring to one of the guys in the booth. So he knows one of them. Okay. So presumably he knows he knows that he's a known criminal. Okay. It's very brief. It is not it is not illustrated. Yeah, it's very that that's the only thing. If there was something where it's like, oh well maybe Rocco would have known Yeah. Them. Or when we see them getting gunned down, they actually have guns in their hands or something like so, that. Yeah, or something. Because otherwise it's like if I'm going to go into a nudie booth and stuff like that, I, I do I have to worry now. I'm going to get gunned down by a couple of religious zealots. I'm paying to jerk off. That's all is this, that I'm is doing. This my, is this my penance for it? <laughs> I mean, I know it's, it's sinful to begin with. I didn't, and ironically, the place is called Sin Bin, anyways. Sin bin, yeah. So I mean, like, I, I I don't know my my lotus fluge is worth like a few nine millimeter rounds to my chest. <laughs> but anyway, we're erasing gingers from the earth. I mean, which reminds me, I forget what I forget what band it was, but there was a music video, and the whole music video was like plays, and like we never see the band; it's just the music bed underneath this video of SWAT teams going around Los Angeles, dragging gingers out of their house and throwing them in the back of a <laughs> uh, paddy wagon. They drive them out to the desert into an open ditch, and they uh, double tap and ball them back of the heads and throw them in the ditch and, and bury them. And then like, and I watched them like that is my nightmare come to life. That I know one day that they're gonna come for us gingers, and and I. Cap us all. It's going to happen one day. Yeah, I mean, uh, ginger genocide, you know, it's is it's eventually going to happen. But it's the in the scenes, the very first time that Greenlee says really two smart things. Mm-hmm. Because William Defoe can't wrap his head around why were they were all killed. Yeah, what's like, the connection here? Well, maybe they're just bad guys. That's what they have in common. And then, like, William Defoe, like, ponders that moment. And that's obviously playing in his head when they go to the... the a diner to talk about all the three cops are exhausted at this point <laughs> and we get to see William Defoe's character start to crack a little bit under the pressure of like this unsolvable uns- unsolvable case at this point yeah because presumably he's been able to wrap things up so quickly previously yeah he fi- figured it out because this whole thing then threw out his uh threw his theory out the window yeah and um, the international gang war yeah same time, Yakavetta goes to an old retired crime boss who is now working as a bathroom tenant mm-hmm. to, they need the big the, guns. El Duce. The Duke. The Duke. What, what have you done? Mean? And then we cut to state prison in Boston where this reputed criminal and like this old man and like, he was like the most feared person in prison and everything like that. Yeah, like the prisoners can't even look at him directly. They have to use mirrors to see where see him coming. Yeah. And they they put him in like this kind of weird wire disco ball in, in his parole hearing and everything like that. Yeah, like you're still dangerous. Yeah. But we got paid to get grant you parole. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And then 
Rocco brings up the the next target they're gonna hit. Uh, like this crazy hitman with a very like blank expression, just like no emotions whatsoever. Yeah. And decide to since he has a poker game every uh, Saturday night with a couple wise guys. So decide like let's go in, kill him, and then we'll be done with it and then we'll move on. Mm-hmm. And so they agree to it after we see what this guy is really capable of. Yeah, we do a flashback with Rocco on the worst night of his life where he drove this guy to cap off this one family and then burn the evidence. Yeah, I mean, women, children, kids, everything. Everything. Women, children, kids. I just said that twice. Wow. And like I said, women, (laughs) children, children, kids. kids. (laughs) I I didn't catch that. Neither did I until after I said it, like (laughs) I processed it. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I repeated you too. I was like, "Mm." that doesn't like, that don't make sense. Nope. Um, And so we cut to it. All right. Since it was. So I guess it's Sunday morning at this point because they say it's Saturday night when this poker game starts. So unless it's like, because like, no, they said every Saturday, every Saturday, and right, it was so, during the day Saturday. I'm assuming it's still Saturday. Okay, so because the next morning would be when they went to church on Sunday morning. Yes, so we get to see the aftermath of this huge assault, the biggest one yet. Yes, and then like William Defoe's like, all right, so here what happens, and this is the first flashback we get to see William Defoe's character kind of like almost interact with the flashbacks. Yeah, I think because it's so grand that he has to they put him in there to help break down exactly step by step what went down. Yes. Which actually really added to the whole scene and added to him like kind of like really becoming unkempt and all that. And so they go into this back room poker game. Mm-hmm. Ice everybody in there. But the, the owner, the guy who they came for, is not in the room. Initially. Initially, he's in the bathroom. Taking a poop. Yep. And he's just, like, just calm as all hell. Just rips the towel holder off the wall. Mm-hmm. Opens the door. Takes a bullet to his stomach. Yeah. And continues to fight and try and kill Rocco. Yeah. Now, Connor says, like, let him do it. This, like, if he wants to be part of the team, he's got to be willing to do it. Murph wants to get in and help him and everything like that. Yeah, because uh, the assassin is on top of Rocco, like, strangling him. Yeah. Now, if Murph didn't intervene, would Rocco be dead? Probably. Yeah. Because Murph, like, tosses him a billiard ball to use as a weapon and is... Sick! Fuck! Sick! Fuck! As he crunches his skull in with the billiard ball and it's like, oh, God, that's sickening. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they're leaving the house and everything like that. They go outside, and Smecker says, "Like now they're staring at men with six men with six men. They were it was an ambush." And then it cuts to it's just one man. It's mm-hmm. the Duke. Yeah, this was the only mistake, uh, only mistake that uh, Schmecker made in this in this scene. Yes, and it's, what the, happens? What what about one guy with six guns? Well, just let me do a thinking genius, as Greenlee points out. <laughs> So the Duke has a vest on with six pistols on it, mm-hmm. and he pulls each uh, one pair at a time, and they have a huge gunfight. There was a firefight! And it becomes, it's so grand, and it's so over the top, and it becomes such a popular part with like, memes and everything like oh, yeah. that. And William Defoe's character is completely disheveled at this point. His tie's loose, his, pant, his shirt's untucked. He's sweating, sweating. profusely. Yeah, and just, ugh. Opera music playing underneath it. It's all in slow motion. Is like squibs are going off. Blood is flying. Shell cases. Yeah, we are... don't hear anything until like 
is like briefly like we hear like like when something really gets impacted you hear it but like everything else is like silent except for the music yeah and then at one point like Specker pulls his gun out it's It's just firing in the air (laughs) now I want to know like are the, the other cops watching him fire in the air? Like, all right, this neighborhood's already been rocked by <laughs> massive gunfire earlier in the day. And all of a sudden, the person who's running the investigation and running the crime scene pulls his service pistol and says, fire in the air like it's, like it's, he just don't care. Exactly. And the thing is, bullets go up. And they come down. They come down. Yeah, not in the same place. No, but it's just like, like... Uh, imagine like a Johnny in the next block over playing football with his kid. Just get, get out of it. it. <laughs> and so Rocco loses a finger, uh, and both brothers get uh, winged. Shot. Yeah, and, Connor gets shot in the leg. Murphy gets shot in the arm. Yeah, and they wound. I think they graze the Duke. Yeah, they shoot the the, the Duke gets shot. I think in the arm because he's en- ends the scene firing only one gun. Right. Um, and then before they leave, they're frantically now leaving because of this firefight. And so, but they have to get the hell out of there. But they're hosing down all the blood that they could see with ammonia. Yeah. Yeah. The only Which thing I that... presume, does that work? Would that work? Yeah, that would work. Okay. I mean, ammonia destroys everything. True. So, I mean, I mean that or they ha- would have should have carried bleach with them. Yeah. And so... We cut to... But the most important part is that they left uh, Rocco's finger behind because they couldn't find it. And they had to get out of there. Yeah. And Specker is, like, losing his shit once he discovers the blood has an ammonia. He, like, flails about in the bushes next to the front door. Yeah. Looks down on the ground, sees Rocco's finger, and then... Quietly. Composes himself as much as possible as the three cops look at him bug-eyed. Yeah, and, but he doesn't tell anyone he found the finger. Which I don't understand. Uh, I don't understand that either, but... Whatever. Yeah. And so they cut the brothers and Rocco end up in an apartment or motel room and everything. We don't know. We don't know because it's fully furnished. It's fully furnished. It's much nicer than any of the apartments we've seen so far. Now, the fact they stole money off the Russians after they hit them and they have a lot of cash on them. Yeah. So they're on the lamb and everything like that. But it's like, this looks lived in. Yeah. So it makes you wonder, like. Is it, like, a friend of theirs or anything? It's, it's never explained. It's never explained. It's such a small... It's like a, almost a nitpick. Yes. Because, like, if you look at the counters behind, there's so much more stuff than what a hotel room would have. Yes. So, it's not... It's clean, but it's not, like, hotel clean. I mean, look at, like, if it's, like... Now... I Like, I've rented a part... Like, my family's rented apartments when we've gone on vacation in, like, Ocean City, Maryland. And stuff yeah. Like, that, like, where they've consistent rentals, like season wide so there is a, a, coffee, part- a, a, a yeah. regular like regular stuff in it it's not like a like oh i'm gonna rent this apartment that's been completely empty or anything like that yeah no no i've done some, i rented similar things yeah so I, that's like the only thing i could kind of that's Maybe. really stretching it to try and justify and again that. i don't think we're i don't think the director did, would be doing a good job if we were really concerned with this no because the most important thing in the scene is that like who's that guy you most know him because he definitely knew us yeah rocco you had not have known him and rocco has no clue who who he is because this guy because the duke's been in prison for 20 years at this point yeah 25 to 30 years i think and so since they're all still bleeding they need to cauterize their wounds oh this was a rough scene it was done done without any audio is back to being classic music. Yeah. And, yeah, they pretty much put an iron. The iron that 
Rocco threatened uh, one of the brothers with in the in his apartment. Yeah, they put the iron on top of the stove to get it red hot, and then then they in turn cauterize each other's wounds. <laughs> and like one is holding like a towel in their mouth so they don't like bite punch their, down, break their teeth, or bite, bite their, their tongue. tongue. And one is doing the cauterizing, and that oh, rough, very rough because it's just like you have to do it, but yeah, at the same time it's fucked. Oh, um, Smegger takes the finger to get fingerprinted, mm-hmm. discovers who David Del Rocco is, re- reckon- realizes he recognizes him from the press conference outside the first uh, uh, crime with the Russian mobsters while the brother stayed in the police station overnight. Mm-hmm. Goes to get drunk in and, a and uh, gay bar and everything like that, and he gets plastered. Gets really plastered. Following morning, the brothers go to the church. Yep. And Which just happens to be only a block away from this gay bar. So, William Defoe stumbles out of the bar. Rocco notices him because he's staying outside because he's, pr- he's not going to church. Mm-hmm. Follows Smecker to go and kill him because he thinks he's a liability because he knows who... He's, he's on-, on to them. Yeah. And the brothers say, we're not going to touch him because he's a good man. Yeah. Rocco doesn't get this concept. No. So he follows Smecker as Smecker goes into the church and passes down one of the confessionals, the same mm-hmm. church that the brothers are in. Yes. Now, the priest is walking into the confessional because he saw Smecker go into the confessional. Mm-hmm. Rocco grabs the priest, goes in there with him, gun drawn on him. To kill Smecker. Yeah. And Connor re- realizes and going on the other end, so the three booths of the confessional. So he goes in the far one and he... Starts to slowly pull apart the uh, wire mesh in between him and the priest. Mm-hmm. Grabs Rocco's head and yanks him through so he doesn't kill him. Yeah, puts a gun in his ear. And so Connor has a gun to... The priest's head. Uh, uh, no, Connor has a gun to Rocco's head. Rocco has a gun to the... the uh, well, initially to the priest's head, but to kill Schmecker. Schmecker wakes up and confesses his feelings that he feels that the brothers are feeling justified in this. And reluctantly, the priest is answering his questions... And in his the very formal religious way, and he even the priest is now re- recognizes that um, that he's kind of telling he advocating it unwillingly advocating with it, their purpose. Now the thing is, like is a, he even says that God doesn't give permission, and that's yeah. a question that has brought up the, the fact well, that that's like kind of like almost like a way to kind of justify it. And it's another question that's brought up later in the movie when they do the interviews with all the men on the street. Yeah. Now, do you th- like uh, the question is like, do you think they were justified in their actions? What the brothers? Yes. Yeah, uh, it's a very gray subject. It's a yeah. very gray area, and that's what they showed with. It is a very gray area, and that's what they showed at the end credits with um, interviewing the people in the street because it was all mixed feelings. Yeah, and I think that's like because some were for it, some were strongly for it, strongly against it, and there was like no real middle ground. Yeah, just the people who didn't want to talk about it. Right, and I think that's I think that's almost it seems like it's almost like those segments. I know we're jumping to like the end there for a second. Mm -hmm. I feel like that those segments were almost like a response to the movie itself because it always seems like. The time movie's like you're on board with their justification up until this point. Yeah, and you and I wonder if that was those man on the street interviews were there initially in the script, or something that like somebody brought up in the midst of like the production. Like maybe you should have it in there so you don't get too raked over the coals about 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I have no idea. But yeah, it worked. It worked for a great, uh, great ending. Like great end credit and uh, ending because it leaves you because it leaves every audience member questioning: Would you side with somebody like that? Yeah, and because in in the one weird thing that I, I, actually I'll put a pin in that I'll come back to it later. So Specker finally has his epiphany, kind of agrees with them, mm-hmm. so, and gets in touch with them. Through the business card that Specker had g- gave him, everything because Rocco and and Connor are listening to him like kind of like huh, so he's on our side. Yeah. So they call Specker because the business card they gave him earlier mm-hmm. tells them they're gonna get hit Papa Joe and then they're gonna get out of Boston. So Sme- and they get ready. Specker goes to see the old Don, which they also him- inform him about the uh, the Duke. Yes. And he can't believe there was one guy with six guns. Yeah. So he go. So now it's Smecker's turn to go to the retired. Uh, I think he's an underboss, actually. Right. Who's in the bat? Who's a ba- bathroom attendant now, and he fills him in on everything after some monetary compensation. Yes. Um, and then it turns out that uh, Papa Joe's house is just heavily guarded now and waiting for him. Yeah. Because the brothers go, and brother, and, the brothers and Rocco go into the basement, get captured. Beaten up initially because mm-hmm. they're all bloody by the time we get to see him. Papa Joe goes down and talks to him and everything like that. Papa Joe blows off part of Rocco's yeah, hand. He takes either a 357 or a 44 Magnum, puts it right to Rocco's, like, right, right to the head. base of the joint of the pinky finger. Yeah. And pulls the trigger. And for some reason, Tim and I are going like, that would have taken off not only his pinky finger, but his, probably his ring finger and a good third of his hand. Yes. Broken every bone in the hand and his wrist, probably. Yes. And, yeah, the pain would just be incredible. Yeah, like, if he like he, if he was still awake, I'm surprised like, he didn't go into shock. I mean, he almost did, but, like, he goes, spoiler, Papa John. Right, Papa John? Joe. Papa Joe, sorry. Papa yeah. Joe's. Very great. Very pizzas. Papa, Papa John's. Boom! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. But Papa Joe comes in to kill Rocco. Yeah. So. And Papa Joe leaves the mansion after that point because he knows the Duke is still on. Yeah, there's no one... way to contact the Duke to tell him the job's off. So he's like, you know what? He's probably going to come this way, so I'm going to get out of the crossfire now. So Papa Joe leaves after killing Rocco. Mm-hmm. So it's just the goons left at the house. Yeah, Waiting for the Duke, and they think, like, oh, we'll get the drop on him. At least one of them speaks up, like, maybe we can get him. Yeah. Everybody else is spooking him because he's dude's like an urban legend at this point, and yeah. everybody should be afraid of him. Mm-hmm. They get a knock at the door. Yes. One of the goons opens up. What does he see? He sees William Defoe in drag. <laughs> okay. It's obviously played for comedy. It obviously it, it actually serves a purpose. It serves a purpose. Now, the fact that like the lead, the lady in the beginning had like the untouched by man tattoo on her throat. Mm-hmm. That Smecker is gay. Now he's being he's dressed as a woman and stuff like that. Do you feel like Troy Duffy may be slightly homophobic? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, just, it seems like I didn't really make that, the connection there. No, it's not, it's not even that. I was just watching him, just like wow. It's just, something just popped in my head. It's like wow. And it's just, and it's like he doesn't demonize Smecker at all because he's no. actually the most competent cop in, in there and everything like that. Yeah, it's just funny. It's like it doesn't like undermine it or it's just saying like Troy definitely hates gay people or anything like that. Or it, it's just something I brought it crossed my mind while watching it this time. Never any time before, but this time it, it came up. Yeah. So he pretends to be a woman. 
makes out with one of the goons to get into the house. Yeah, which that actor, I don't think I can even find him. But like, just like, just they, being able to go for it. It was like full French kissing, and then William Defoe like sucking on his lip too. It was like, I mean, good actors are willing to go there. Very good actors are very two very sexually uh, sexually uh, co- uh, secure secure. Thank you. So he's very sexually secure men. And so, trying to see if I could find that actor. Sorry. So he gets into the house, and he tries to seduce him and everything like that. And when he realizes, like, wait, because Wim Defoe is like laying on the floor trying to get him down so he can shoot him, Wim Defoe's wig falls off. He pulls the gun, shoots him, and goes to the house to try and um, cap these guys and probably save the brothers before they get killed. He caps one of the other goons in there, and then gets clocked from behind by the Duke. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the brothers. Get out of their shackles, kill one of the other, uh, the last goon that's there with them, and decide to say their prayer as they uh, put pennies in Rocco's eye, uh, pennies in Rocco's eyes to like send him off and everything. They give him a proper send off, which at the same time the Duke walks in. He's about to shoot the guys in the back as they are saying the prayer. He puts his guns away, mm-hmm. and they pull out and they he midway through the prayer. Draw the guns on the Duke, and the Duke finishes the prayer. Right, confirming, and they already established. Well, um, right after the the strip club uh, shooting, like Rocco's like, "That's some really crazy shit prayer we got going. You have to teach me." And they're like, "No, no, it's a family prayer. Only, only the only we know it." Which now there was a deleted scene when they call their mother uh, after they get off work and they talk about like their dad and like not being on the scene for years and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of hurts this movie not having it in there because it was all of a sudden, oh, he's their dad. Yeah. Because it seems like it's like it's out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, and a little a little bit, but it's like it's just a big coincidence, like, oh, that explains it. He's their mm-hmm. dad. I mean like you said before, this movie has like a lot of coincidences. Like Yeah. Like Schmecker stumbling out of the bar. We know there's no real segue from him drinking to him stumbling out right so it's like is that bar open till 6 a.m i mean some of them are i mean like some of them they like, don't open until i'm like... sorry but bars in bars in massachusetts close at like 12 30 unless it's an illegal speakeasy it, well, that could be too yeah true too but anyway no but yeah no i agree there should be a, should have been something about their dad earlier in there mm. um it's not the biggest sin in the world, but no. I mean, like now you can have you have your father, you have your sons, and their Holy Spirit as their their divine power between the three of them and everything like that. Yeah. And so it cuts to three months later. Papa Joe is on trial for the murders that happened and everything, or at least crimes there, or something that he he's being charged. For. Yeah. And the the press are in there, and they're kind of like two reporters are talking to each other, like as the case is going on. Uh, commenting on that, that, like, this guy's going to get off. I mean, he's the next John Gotti. Another mm-hmm. dated reference right there. Yeah, I love it. I mean, like, then again, like, who's... What other big gangster it is that has become so part of... Pop culture. Pop culture right there. N- not many. Nothing in recent years. Nothing in recent years. I mean, like, the last big gangster died a couple years ago. That was Whitey Bulger. I mean... Yeah. Because he was eventually caught. Um, So the brothers go in through the with the help of the police officers and Smecker. Mm-hmm. They go in, make a speech of what, they, and they declare what they are and what they're going to be doing. Put Papa Joe on his knees, say their prayer together, destroy him because yeah, two pistols and a shotgun to the head. Yeah, there's no, there's no head left. There's no head left. 
and cut to everybody else who's innocent leaving, running out of the courthouse, talking to the press really quickly, and then it cuts to the brothers asking, like, how far are we going to go for this? Mm-hmm. And the father's only response is, like, do you have the Constitution to take it as far as it needs to go? Right. Setting up sequels and everything like oh, that. Oh, yeah, so many. I mean, uh, in that courtroom thing before they kill Papa Joe, uh, they pretty much declare why they're doing this, and it just pretty much goes, like, good people are not going to be harmed whatsoever. It's the people who defy the laws that any, that all of us live, should live by. Right. That are our problem. And the most evil of them will, fi- will, will see, find justice from them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they really just declare themselves as that necessary evil to take down evil or people. Right. More evil people. More evil. Yeah, thank you. No evil. problem. I mean, I'm the one who just said Ch- um, women and children and kids in the sentence. So, do you know what? Like, we both have one yeah, tonight. Okay. And so it ends with the man on the street interviews as the credits roll of the, everybody giving their opinions on it, which would happen today. I oh, mean, yeah. That, that, I mean, that would definitely be – it would definitely be extremes either, either for or against. Oh, totally. Which brings up the question, like, all right, does this movie, like, hold up? Like in like as a dated thing, yeah, and then like uh, the and and then the kind of like implications like can you like since the like so many public shootings have happened since right I the idea I don't think that idea that this movie's based on will ever go away right like just someone should just kill all these horrible people yes yeah, so and we should all always be, be better there. off yeah that I think that's that'll... why we have five that's why we have five death wish movies okay so yeah. But um, yeah, so I think that idea is never going to go away. the The movie itself, I think, holds up pretty well. Um, it, you could tell it's the '90s. I mean, they use pagers. Um, Excuse me, pagers. No one has no one has a cell phone, um, and even the computer that Smecker uses to print uh, Rocco on it is just this old, gigantic thing. Yeah. Um, that that's the only thing that really dates the movie. But I think it feels. It has this kind of, like timeless feel to it, right? So I think it ho- it still holds up pretty well. The only thing is, it is a pre nine eleven world, yeah. so there's no security cameras literally everywhere. Yeah, and like, I mean, the- that's the only thing. Now today, Boston, you're on camera almost every corner, right? So good luck doing that. And the reason, like, you kind of like bring up these kind of big like big events that shaped America. Um, this movie did terrible in the theaters mm-hmm. uh, because it came out post Columbine. Oh. And so it really, and it was only released like I think like five theaters mm-hmm. in, in America, and like it only made like thirty grand versus the seven million dollar budget. However, they signed a like uh, exclusive rights for uh, the blockbuster and made its money on they video and and then word of mouth, and that's how they were able to make their money, make their money back, and everything yeah. like that. Now, it's obviously. Like, this movie was initially set up with uh, Miramax and the Weinstein brothers are going to do it. It's obviously it is post-Pulp Fiction and post-Reservoir Dogs. This is definitely post-Tarantino hype and everything. Like, do you think this is kind of like a subpar Tarantino movie? No. I don't think – I think it's a very standalone movie. I never would have made the connection to Tarantino at all. And the only reason why is because I think of, like, those crime movies that came out after Pulp Fiction. Like, like this is one of them. Like, uh – Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch, like Guy Ritchie movies. I mean, like, mm-hmm. like, they're very criminal-based. Like, it has their comedic elements and everything like that. And yeah. they're kind of, like, hyperkinetic at times and everything. Like, weird tone, 
tonal shifts. And I think it's the reason why I bring this up because it happened after the boom with Pulp Fiction. Like, how many knockoffs came out afterwards? Yeah, okay, I could see that, but I don't want to call this a subpar Tarantino movie. No, I'm just saying, like, it definitely seems like it's. It, it got made because, because of those movies. The contract was signed because of Pulp Fiction dead. Right, because they say, like, hey, we could have theoretically another Pulp Fiction on our hands. Yeah. Um, your feelings, like, um, well, brief feelings on the before we go into characters uh, on the sequel. Okay, Boondock Saints two, All Saints Day, All Saints Day. That was a little rough. Yeah. Uh, the the originality and the charm. If the, there is a little bit of a charm in this movie, uh, the originality and charm kind of go away in All Saints Day. Mm-hmm. Um, they really replaced Rocco with a very outspoken Hispanic guy. Mm-hmm. Um. And Who tries his damnedest to be, like, indelible as Rocco, whereas I don't think it works. It doesn't work. And I've seen the guy in other things, and he's a good actor. It's just yeah. that I, was thinking it was, I just don't think he was written well Greenlee, Dolly, uh, and Duffy come back. They have uh, actually bigger roles in this one. Yeah. Uh, William Defoe makes, uh, I don't... A cameo. A cameo. I don't get... They have someone else, a uh, detective who studied under Schmecker. Yeah. And she is the detective on this, and she's all for it right away. Yeah. So, and, I, and I think she's probably the best part of that movie. I would agree. Um, minus um, minus uh, Sean Flannery and Norman Reedus. Yeah. Because they were still solid. Yeah. I mean, it's just Sean Patrick Flannery, like, post uh, surgery, like, plastic surgery, because he did have plastic surgery yeah. between two movies, and like, he looks. A little weirder. A little weird now. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, I, it just didn't have the same like flair or charm. It no. just felt like a hollow shell of itself. And that one ends with setting up a sequel and everything like that. And like the only reason why that hasn't come off like been delayed is because they haven't killed off Norman Reedus' character in The Walking Dead. Yeah. And then the only reason why I think Moon Knight Saints Two got made is because Norman Reedus came back and they, they, he had enough clout. To get the money involved because people want to see it's him. It's ten years removed from each other. Yeah, I mean it's almost ten years now since the second one. Yeah, uh, when the All, All Saints Day came out. Let's see here, Next Saints three release. No one reads about. But when did when did number two come out? Two thousand nine. So two thousand eight. Oh yeah. So yeah, it was ten years it's from in, that. Okay, it's like this oh, in the article BoondockSaints.com. Published in 2006. Mm-hmm. Uh, Norman Reedus confirmed a third movie was being uh, was greenlit. Right. And Brad Pitt is supposed to be in it. Interesting. Huh. Huh. Weird. Anyway, so we wait with we're I'm not holding my breath for another sequel. I'm. It's yeah, I'm not holding uh holding my breath for it either because of just how like underwhelming All Saints Day was. Yeah. Um it was just kind of a hollow shell re hollow shell remake of itself. Right. Different different but exactly the same. Yeah. Like it goes more in depth to the Duke's past. Mm-hmm. Um but and Peter Fonda's wasted at the end. Yeah, Peter Fonda. Yeah. But um anyway, you're uh, let's go into characters really quick. Okay. Like, uh, your feelings on the brothers? Brother, I love them. Yeah. I mean, you could, they really have uh they have that brother feel to them. They have gr- 
both uh, Sean Patrick Flannery and Norman Reedus have that great uh, chemistry together. Mm-hmm. And you can believe that they're brothers. Yeah. I mean, they, they do very brotherly things, like them fighting in the middle of air vent. Yeah. Um, but them fooling around at the meat packaging plant and them just kind of, like, understanding each other just by looks. Like, uh, um, just they give each other a look and then, like, okay, they know exactly what each other is thinking. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're willing to die for each other, too, like you saw in the beginning with uh, with Connor jumping off the building to save uh, Murphy. Yeah. Um do you think one actor is stronger than the other in this movie? Me, personally, I thought Sean Patrick Flannery was stronger than Norman Reedus. Now, was there anything in particular that I thing? just... I don't know. I just... I per, I guess I just particularly thought that he stood out more than Norman Reedus did. Mm-hmm. And he shows how much I know. Yeah. Um, but I just... Yeah. I, but I also prefer the character of Connor over Murphy. Because Murphy kind of had this, like, give-no-shit attitude, like, not a care in the world. I mean, Connor had that same, too. But Connor also kind of felt like he understood the seri- more understood the seriousness of what they're doing a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I just more related to, like, like, the character of Connor more than I did Murphy. Gotcha. But I still feel like Sean Patrick Flannery did do a better job, acting job. Like, he was able to convey some more emotion, emotional tones and some subtle acting a little bit better. Okay. And I do agree with you. I think he's more of the focal point than the two brothers. I think he gets more of the, like you said, more serious acting to do. Mm-hmm. And, like, Norman Reedus is kind of like the guy you want to be. And, like, like you want to hang out with him and everything and everything with with uh, his portrayal of Murphy and everything like that. Yeah. And I remember when he showed up in The Walking Dead because I watched the first two seasons of it. And like from the very first episode, I'm like, oh, he's going to be a star because of this. And like, I, of course, I already knew him from that from Boondock Saints, and he already yeah. had that kind of a cult like status, like the movie did already. Mm-hmm. But he just blew up into the stratosphere because of The Walking Dead. Yeah. And I, and I, but I bet you, whenever either Walking Dead ends or they kill off his character, I bet you Boondock Saints three happens. Probably. Because he probably because he enjoys hanging, like doing movies with Troy Duffy, so I bet you he comes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Defoe Smecker. Oh, Smecker is a great character. Uh, just that super eccentric, de- like super eccentric uh, detective, and you could s- the way they introduce him, you can see him break down, like him figuring out everything. He doesn't explain it like the other crime scenes uh, later on. No, but you see it and you. Uh, like you understand okay this is who he is this is how he thinks uh so you get that feel right away but him also not being afraid to like be very eccentric very over the top sometimes mm-hmm. um he's a very good character and william defoe did an amazing job portraying him yeah so i so i think honestly like seriously watching the movie uh schmecker was my favorite character mm-hmm. because of just how like on point point he was because I think he's given the most to do out of every actor in the movie. Yeah, it was a lot, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of the weight was put on him. And the fact that William Defoe is just just such a gifted actor that he just kind of just takes it with, which is like, all right, I can handle this, and then does it. And I love the fact that he's able to play the super serious agent, the playful nature, and everything like that. And he's able to weave back and forth within like the same moment or same beat. He's able to do that with no problem. Mm-hmm. Like when they're talking, when he's chastising the cops, chastising the cops earlier about leaking information to the press, and he's like, "The only information we have about these guys, they're angels." 
but angels do not kill. And he's able to, just, to go from one polar opposite to the other emotionally mm-hmm. and be able to keep it and doesn't seem phony or fake or anything. No, it's, he has He's very genuine about the way he acts. It's like you could totally believe that he's he's saying exactly what he's saying. Yeah. And then he's able to become unhinged and then like the slow progression of him becoming from like a man of the law and coming around to their way of thinking and joining forces with them at the end seems believable because I, I think like any other weaker actor it just seemed like oh wouldn't seem like I think it's too much of a switch or too much of a jump that he would just like alright I guess I'm with you now mm-hmm. and not make it like the, uh, no, the you audience. saw you saw the internal conflict with him, right? Where he figured, where he started getting hunches about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even you saw even the cops like figure like they're not exactly like they're not like exactly like disgusted by these killings. No, but um, your feelings on Rocco? I like Rocco. I mean, like I said, he's a lo- lo- lovable loser type mm-hmm. character. Um, he is, I guess, what everyone else would be like in that situation. Mm. Like, totally freaking the fuck out. Yeah. Um, he's the audience at that point. He's the audience for most of the time. I mean, his knowledge about who's the bad people and where they are and everything like that, mm. that would be indispensable for what uh, Connor and Murphy are doing. Mm. Um, putting a gun in his hand is not exactly the best idea, though. No, because you don't know what he's going to do. Yeah, and, and he's proven that he's not exactly the greatest shot in the world. No. But they're not going to put one gun. We're going to put two guns in his hand. Why? It fucking hurt. Yeah. But, and not uh, just with six rounds, 16 rounds per magazine in each hand. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I like, you felt something when he died. Yes. Like you honestly felt like, oh my God, like a very emotional, like there was not like, oh my God, I'm going to start crying, but there was an emotional tug there. Uh, especially how he died and how he was wishing the, uh, both Connor and Murphy to keep doing what they're doing. Right. And I think it's like you were saying before that, like that, because we, we've gotten so invested with him, and he is, since he is the comedic relief that we have, like, oh, like we've lashed on to him, um, maybe more so than the brothers, and then how, and I think not just because of like how when he died, I think it's just because how abrupt, yeah, he died very abruptly, and it just like the gets shot, collapses, and he's dead within seconds afterwards, which taking a. 357 or 44 round to the chest you would do you die rather quickly yeah and so there's no organs left no i mean he's probably lucky that he even lived that long yeah and, and then like they like his dying wish is like keep going guys don't stop don't like uh don't let these guys get you down or anything like that mm-hmm. go into your dying breath and you kind of like see there's a rallying cry and everybody could probably get behind him at that point and like you'd want to join forces with them if you were like on board with them in the first place, and so yeah, and like I agree, like, I really enjoy his performance, and he kind of just seems to be very natural and just like being the funny man. Like even at one point, the one scene when he goes, he brings a lunch to yeah, just a sandwich, yeah. a sandwich to Papa Joe Yacovetta and uh, Vincenzo's. Then they tell the I'll have a Coke joke in there and everything yeah. like that. <laughs> okay, here's a fun story. Um, relating to this, that joke, uh, I was interviewing, uh, for an internship with the Boston Bruins when I was in college mm-hmm. and I think I would have gotten it, it'd be, but the time frame was totally wrong. Um, like they wanted you to start in April and go all the way through, uh, October with this internship. And it's like, well, I can't commute from Quinnipiac to Boston every day. That's 
three hours driving. Right. With just one way. Yeah. So, but um, but at one point they were like, oh, so do you think you have a good sense of humor? And I was like, yes. And I'm like, okay, tell us a joke. And I was like, what? And then it just clicked in my head, uh, I'm having a shitty day. That's a joke. <laughs> and it's just like, I, do not I, say that. I was like, I'm like, uh, I don't have a joke. Oh, and like, you just come up with anything that comes to the happy head. I'm like, I go, I'm being interviewed by uh, a guy and a girl. They're like in their mid twenties. And I'm like, uh, the only one that's coming to my head is the one from Budok Saints. The girl's like, Oh, I don't know that. And the guy's like, don't say that. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm not saying I didn't say it. It's just that because I know it's inappropriate. Uh, <laughs> But that, yeah, it, but the guy knew exactly. <laughs> but uh, the whole purpose of that was they wanted to make sure that you had a filter, you had a sense of humor, and had a filter because people would just start, people, other people would just go go right into that joke, right? So, but yeah, that. But that, I just tell puns, and then I'd be asked to leave after that point. Yes, probably. <laughs> anyway, uh, your feelings on the cops. I like the cops. I mean, they don't really have too, too many lines. I mean, Greenlee is the most vocal out of the three. And like we already mentioned, he has a special place in our hearts now. Yes. Um, but they're, you get you get where they're coming from because they're not exactly equipped or prepared to handle a situation like this. No. I mean, they catch on quick once things are like kind of laid out in front of them. Mm-hmm. But they're not um, But they're not on the level of Smecker. Right. Um. But they're willing to listen to Sme- – eventually they're willing to listen to Smecker and then come to respect him and then understand exactly what these guys are doing. Mm-hmm. And then they're on board. Yeah. And I agree. Like, like their job is kind of serviceable and kind of just like they're there for this, the information to be – like the information to be given to them and yeah. everything like that. Uh, like you said, Greenlee's most vocal and everything. And I think the fact that he is a stand-up comedian first and foremost mm-hmm. is a lens to his kind of accessibility as a, as a character. Yeah. Because he just brings so much – wit and charm to his role that you can't help but laugh whatever the hell he says yeah and i get no fucking bagel i get no (laughs) (laughs) when somebody asked me like like you want to get a bagel like that that goes in my head like i ain't getting nobody no fucking bagel um i could go for a bagel a bagel Mm. would be nice right now Mm, i'm thinking about it (laughs) (laughs) too bad bagel shops closed this time i know i'm just now i think there is a 24-hour bagel place i think in satake or something like that yeah but that's in satake i know but it is a bagel. Oh my god! I could go for like an onion bagel with butter and cream cheese on it right now. And that's what like, and that's what uh, uh, Smecker onion asked. bagel, cream, cream cheese. cheese. He's like, no, I'm not gonna get you that. <laughs> yeah, so I think that, and like one of the other favorite lines that in this movie that we bring up is that um, not Duffy, the other cop, Dolly. Dolly is like, so what's the symbology here? Referring to the scene with yeah, the, the Russians getting executed. If you listen to our podcast in the past, I've always dropped symbology. Yes. Uh, yeah, symbol- what's the symbology? In reference to the scene, because he doesn't know the word symbolism. symbolism. What is what's the, the symbolism, symbolism there? I wrote down symbolism in my notes with like a bunch of S's and, and everything. Because I'm an expert in namiology. <laughs> And it's just another thing that's become indelible a part of our uh, just our vernacular at this point. Yeah, it, yeah. If there was a drop, we had like a drop board. I think that would be on it. Yes, symbology. <laughs> uh, your feelings on the Duke? The Duke, he he was a badass character. Yeah, we don't know anything about him. Is on... that is 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 that like the Boba Fett effect? 
What? Is that like the Boba it's Fett? It's kind of the Boba Fett, Fett effect. We Boba Fett effect. Boba, Boba Fett, Fett effect. effect. Yes. Boba Fett effect. Boba Fett effect. Okay. Yeah. So, it, sorry. He does like this. Um, we only see him in action for only one scene. Yeah. That's it. But it's also the most grandiose the, scene in the movie. Yeah. The like the yeah. So, and then, and then we learn that he's actually their father. And that's I found my father. My father. There's some uh, Miami connection there for you. Go on. Uh, but yeah, that he's he's a pretty badass character. Uh, uh, yeah, and there's not really much there's substance to talk about. He's just he's a badass. He's their dad, and that's it. You kind of wish that Billy Connolly was given more to do in the movie, but he of... is given more to do in All Saints Day. Yes, which is it the problem in that movie? I think so. That it's become more about him than it is the sons. Yeah, but there, there was there was other issues with that movie. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, last two like main characters, uh, Vincenzo and Yacoveta, really quick. Uh, Vincenzo. I mean, it's Ron Jeremy being Ron, being a douchebag. Yes. Um, and uh, Papa Joe Yacoveta. He was he was that mob boss that you could totally totally see run an organization. Yeah. That just a very dark. Like through, like he his presence was very intimidating. Um, yeah, so he's, you, yeah, he's personable. He's personable because he has that kind of like charisma to him. But he's personal. He also, I like the fact that when he goes to the um, his father's right hand man, who was the retired bathroom attendant, yeah. there was so much respect there. Even when the guy said "fuck you," <laughs> like he didn't like upon entering the bathroom. Yeah, he but he knew. He had to treat him with respect mm-hmm. because he deserved respect. So yeah. I kind of liked Papa Joe. He was very w- w- well fleshed out character. Mm-hmm. That we don't know too too much about, him, but we're given enough to un- to know he's a very bad person, but likable at the same time. Right. All right. And yeah, and I think he, they both have really good performances based upon the material they're given and everything like that. It's not much, but they make it their own. They make it memorable. Yeah. Um. And it's funny on the commentary track. It's like a lot of like he's, Troy Duffy is talking about like a lot of people came up to me after the movie came out saying like yeah I watched it with my girlfriend and everything like that. And it's always an awkward moment because when we both recognize Ron Jeremy on our own, <laughs> and then we both look at each other like how do you know who Ron Jeremy is? And the conversation that comes out afterwards. Anyway, it's kind of hard to not know who Ron Jeremy is unless you're over a certain age. I guess. Yeah, I mean, like, if I ask my dad, I don't think he's gonna know who Ron Jeremy is. I'm pretty is. sure he would know. I mean, Ron Jeremy's reign was back in what the 70s, 80s. Mm, yeah, and he's like, still doing some porn now. Yeah, he's still doing but... it, which he pops up in every every now and then in my searches. I'm like, oh God, Ron Jeremy. Yes, I do watch pornography. I I'm a lonely person that's single. I want to watch a fat man with an 80s mustache fuck a young girl. No. Mm. And then it makes mm. you feel even worse about yourself. And, like, the guilt that hits you when you finish anyway is even worse because, like, like look at me. I may not be in the best shape, but I am in better shape than that man. Yeah, and, but then Ron Jeremy has a two-foot-long long dick. Yeah, and then you're just like, so, oh. And then just that like, explains a lot. It does. Anyway, oh, God, let's wrap this up before we go any further. Yeah. Your feeling, your final thoughts on the Boondock Saints? I love this movie. It is one of those classic, uh, classic crime movies. I think uh, the humor was very spot on. It wasn't. I went. It had enough humor to make the tone charming and light, but they weren't afraid to go dark whenever they needed to. Um, I mentioned to Tim while we were watching this was to actually really appreciate the subtle acting. In this movie, like the little like facial expressions to to the other actors doing it, 
um, just little motions and just eye contact, eye movement. It was a really, I really appreciate that point. It's very well directed in my opinion when it comes to that. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those movies that will, you, you, when someone says, Hey, you want to watch Boondock Saints? You're not going to say no, no. It's one of those movies like you're always down to watch. Yeah. And I agree. It's like, it's kind of like, an, like I don't want to say it's just a guy movie, but like women love this too. I mean, like my ex, like, like, Bert, like, Rhett, like ruined like one of her DVDs because she watched the movie so much and everything oh, wow. like that. Um, and so, yeah, it's like a great couple movie. And it's a good date movie and everything like that. I know it's rather weird and everything. No, because like, it has that charm and it has that humor, those, up, uh, those the humor and upbeat moments to get like to really like not not be like, oh my god, we're just gonna gun down everyone. And, yeah, is that dude. like 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 John Wick and everything like that? Like, yeah, it has this comedic moments. Like, that's a much darker movie compared to this and everything like that. Yeah, and it has a very similar like premise and everything. Um, as in, like, a one-man army taking on, like, uh, hordes of mobsters and everything. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and it's, like, Central College movie, Central guy, Like, it's, like, a lot of guys watch it. A lot of people, like, our age know it and everything like that and mm-hmm. quote it and everything. So I definitely recommend it seeing it and everything. And definitely check it out, especially since St. Patty's Day is right around the corner. And the fact that when I came up and visited you guys on St. Patty's Day weekend years ago when I was in college, we showed it to Justin. Yes, we did. The day before St. Patty's Day. Yes, we did. I remember that. And then we took you to that midnight uh, 7-Eleven run, and I got hit on by some drunk girl with shamrocks on her cheeks and stuff. Yes, you did. Yeah. With uh, and the the, the uh, Indian Charles Bronson as behind the counter. Oh, my God. The Pakistani Charles Bronson. Pakistani Charles Bronson. Excuse me. <sighs> he disappeared soon after that, which was the most heartbreaking thing ever. <laughs> Because he was amazing. He was such a great guy. And just like... Oh. <laughs> Warm college memories there. <laughs> anyway. I'm not joking. He was a, he was Charles Bronson, just... Pakistani. Pakistani. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Um, no, hope, yeah, that's a movie. Hope everybody's enjoyed this review of the Boondock Saints. And if you want to follow us on social media, Dakota, where can they follow you? Uh, you can follow me at DeviantArt.com under DW Drawings. So DWDrawings.DeviantArt.com. You can see all my drawings, which I have a few new comics up. We'll also see a lot of my reviews. You can also check out my reviews um, at CartoonBinge.Blogspot.com. Cartoon mm-hmm. My latest review up there is Batman the Brave and the Bold. Nice. Check it out. Great show. All right. If you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney Two. That's my personal Twitter. Follow this podcast. Anything goes at Ginger Geek Pod. You can follow my YouTube and Facebook page under the same moniker Through the Lens Productions. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can follow me at T Rooney Ten Twelve. And we like my one of my latest short. Uh, we have a short. We have a music video coming out soon that will actually be on my Vimeo account, just because we don't get any. Uh, copyright problems right there. That's going to be going up soon. But our recent for- short film, The Magician's Proposal, is up there, as well as A Cowardly Lot and a bunch of other stuff if you want to check that out. Uh, we're actually in preparation for the probably one of the biggest short films that we're doing, a fan film of a certain Cape Crusader mm-hmm. that's going to be going on in the next month or so. So stay tuned for that. We have a bunch of podcasts in the uh, in the pipeline. We, we're I'm doing a Memento review tomorrow, possibly 
doing two reviews on Saturday, which is going to be killer. I don't know if I'm going to do that. That's going to be tough. Mm-hmm. And then uh, next week, we're going to be doing a Deathly Hallows uh, review. Finally, we're going to get finished off the Harry Potter yeah. series book-wise. book-wise. And then we'll be doing the commentary track later down the road. Uh, another thing that uh, Dakota and I were talking about uh, coming up to before uh, Spider-Man Homecoming comes out, uh, Dakota and I are going to be covering the Spider-Man uh, Sam Raimi trilogy, mm-hmm. uh, as well as before Justice League comes out in November, we're going to be covering the Justice League animated show and Ghost in the Shell. Go, uh, thank you for reminding me. Uh, Ghost in the Shell comes out at the end of March, I think yeah. March 30th. Something like that. 30th or 31st. I think it's like the last day of March. Uh, We'll be covering... uh, There's two animated movies, right? Yeah, but just the first one's the most well-known. The second one doesn't really involve the character that's coming out. Okay, then we'll be covering the first animated movie of Ghost in the Shell. And um, we'll give our feelings about that when it comes to. So there's a bunch of podcasts coming, and we're actually on iTunes. Like we said before, if you want to follow us on iTunes, just go to... the Type in the Anything Goes podcast. Mm-hmm. It'll pop up. The latest podcast, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie route, the Mighty Morphin Power Pod. That's the title of the episode. <laughs> uh, leave us a five star review and give us a written review if you enjoyed this podcast. If you leave us a written review, we will read it on the air and name drop you at the end of the episode. So oh, wow. stay tuned for that. And it's obviously more incentive that and it gets more people out there and more people listening. You're not supposed to sell them the marketing plan, Tim. Oh, I, I forgot. Damn. Well, I think we should wrap it up now. I hope everybody's enjoyed this episode of the Boondock States Review and have a very happy St. Patty's Day 2017. We'll talk to you soon. We'll talk to you soon, laddies. Have a Guinness.